So one other announcement, and I believe it's probably in your bulletin that says Pastor Greg is preaching today. He preached the first service, and he was in, in obvious uh, physical pain. He's all right, but his back is not all right. Um, so please be praying for him. Uh, he, he did not let go of this lately, but I, I encouraged him to let me preach today. So I, what I'm encouraging you, since I am taking the 1030 service, Go listen to his sermon. He's going to wrap up Colossians next week, and he might reference some things that he wants you to know. So I'd encourage you, even though it's going to be the same thing I preach on, I'm taking his passage and I'm taking his big idea. His big idea is this, speak to God about people and speak to people about God. That fits the passage, which is good. He's using the passage. That's important. Um, but everything else is going to be for me. And, of course, Scripture, that's what we want primary. Uh, always when we are speaking of God's word. Um, but I encourage you, go when it gets posted online, check out his sermon as it ties into the whole series, probably a little bit more than mine will ever be able to. Um, so even though it's the same passage twice in one week, uh, I'll, I'll explain it this way. No matter how brilliant you are or you think you are, you did not learn two plus two equals four the first time. You had a kindergartner, first grade, or second grade teacher. I don't quite know when we learned that concept. I don't remember. I want to say it's before second, but not always. But that was a hard con concept the first day. It's five. No, it's not five. It's never five. It's three. Well, this is when I'm going to mess with your mind. Sometimes it might be three in a different base system. Not really. It's going to be 11 or 10, most likely. You can ask me that if the math is too tough for you. Uh, it's fun when we go to base two. That'd be binary. That's what computers speak. Um, but in a base 10 system, it's always four. But your brain could not take that the first time. When we preach, we go to a passage and we walk away. And we don't think about it until we, we come back to that part of Scripture a year from now in our, in our daily reading the next week because it happens to pop up. But in terms of teaching, we come back to concepts until we get it. So listening to the same passage twice in one week is not going to hurt you. It actually is sound educationally. So we'd encourage you. I would encourage you. Go listen to Pastor Greg's sermon. We'll put the 9 o'clock sermon up online once we're able to do that. Probably Monday or Tuesday. Um, you can check for that and get that as well. But I'm still going to give you his big idea. Speak to God about people. Speak to people about God. And we are in Colossians 4, verse 3 two through six. Let's pray. Lord, we pray for Pastor Greg. Uh, take the pain from his body right now. Help him to rest um, while the pain is there. Help him to listen to it. Our bodies are amazing, even in a broken and sin-affected world. Lord, help him to pay attention to how you've made his body and to rest when he needs to rest. Lord, bless our time as we go to your word. Challenge us. Challenge us with who you are. Challenge us with who we are, and how you want to make us holy, because you are mighty and wonderful, and you show us grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Speaking of barbecues, we have this thing in town called Suzy Q. We love it. It's awful when we run out of it. You might have your own thing that you like. But it goes on barbecue like crazy around here. It goes on tri-tip, I should say, like crazy around here. I don't know if you've ever made either the choice or mistake, I'm not sure which, of adding it to something else and thinking, hmm, it's not tri-tip. But, um, it, and it isn't a knock on Suzy Q, but it's just, it's such a part of tri-tip. We 
when people move away from the area, they're disappointed when they can't find it. I don't know if you've ever had a friend ask you to buy it and ship it out to them. I'm sure you can pick it up on Amazon, but we always forget about that when we move to, say, Florida, and we panic when the right thing's not there. I don't know what kind of seasoning you use, but I can probably accurately say this. There's a, there's a cabinet in your kitchen that has an abundance of seasoning unless you use it to such a degree you have to replace it all the time. There's some seasonings you never use. There's some seasonings that you, you might go through quickly and you need the Costco size just to survive for a week. But we know seasoning. We are blessed by seasoning. These are not the days when salt is worth as much as gold because of flavor and preservation. These are days when we have an abundance of seasoning. And seasoning is something Paul's going to reference. In that statement, speak to God about people, speak to people about God, he's going to mention seasoning on the second part. So we will get to that in a minute. But right now, to torture you and to remind you to come back tonight when you can get a great and well-priced tri-tip meal, I want you to savor and think about the tri-tip you wish you could have in an hour. And when I say an hour, just to warn you, my students know I throw the clock out at 10.30 and I just don't care. So I'll try to get you out at a normal time, but I am known to go to 12 or past and just say you're, you're old enough to leave when your parents are at the door. So by all means, if your parents are poking their head in the door looking at you, you are welcome to leave. But unless, you're, unless your mom or dad's out there, you need to stay until I'm done, all right? Just kidding. Just kidding. Colossians 4, verse 2. I'm going to read it straight through and then we'll go back. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to, ought to answer each person. Speak to God about people, and speak to people about God. That's, that's a good summary of what Paul's saying there. And he starts with the first part. Speak to God about people. You could leave it at just speak to God, although he, he does go to the about people part. But he tells us to speak continually to God. We are supposed to be a praying people, and many of us, if we're honest, will stop and say, I just don't pray enough. I want to pray more. We might even pray a lot. The reality, at least, is this, though. I could pray more, even if I am the best prayer saint that our church has. There's still moments that we get distracted and we, and we think of something else. And I don't mean distracted by the road driving. Please keep your eyes open, even while you pray while driving. What I mean is somebody asks us to pray, we say yes, and we never do. Or somebody hands to us on a, on a silver platter a nonverbal or other words statement of, please pray for me now. And we totally miss it and forget to pray for them in the moment. It doesn't matter how long your prayer list and how long you spend in the morning, there are still moments you're gonna miss for prayer. So whether you are Convicted every time you hear the word prayer mentioned because you, you know you should pray more. Or you feel like I finally reached the point where I pray enough. There's still moments we miss. So when he says this, he's speaking to everyone. Continue steadfastly in prayer. 
being watchful in it. Prayer is something we have to constantly work at. The Holy Spirit is in us. He prompts us to pray. And Paul still has to tell Colossians, the the people of Colossae, this isn't Corinth and this isn't Galatia, keep in mind. This is Colossae. It's not so bad. It's not perfect, but it's not so bad. If you were going to, if you were looking for a church and you had those three options, Colossae is where you should end up. Because you ought to look at, at Corinth and you ought to look at Galatia and go, something's not right here. And unless you're convinced God's placing you there, not to be a pain in their side, but taking you there to join leadership and, and turn that course around with Paul's team, then Colossae's where you ought to land. It's a better church than the other two. Not perfect, again, but it's a better church. And even they need to hear this. Continue. You're already doing this. Those of you that are, are doing well on praying enough, great. Keep it up. Don't back off. Or you might find you're no longer praying as often as you were. Continue steadfastly with your mind focused on it and, and committed to it and faithfully as a spiritual discipline. Continue steadfastly in prayer, talking to God, being watchful in it. But what are you watchful for? Well, watchful of your own heart, that would be a good thing. Lord, am I, am I just checking off the box? Do I have a prayer list that is massive, but all I do is pray through it and I don't actually think about it? I'm not interacting with God. You know that moment as a parent? Students never have this moment. You know that moment as a parent when you start the lecture and you can't even remember what you're saying? <laughs> or how it started? I mean, you're aware of where you're at in the lecture, but you couldn't actually put it on paper at this point, and your kid's thinking the same thing. I know I messed up, but please stop. Please. They certainly aren't catching anymore. We need to make sure we don't do that with prayer. So watchful of our own heart that we don't just get into a bad kind of rote running through the list. There's a deacon's list, by the way, in your bulletin, a prayer list. It's great if you take that out and you pray for it through it each day, maybe multiple times a day. But it becomes worthless if all you do is read through the paper. Similarly, our students just started school back up and any teacher, especially of advanced reading levels, will tell you there's a point where the guy eyes go glossy and you are just turning pages but not actually comprehending what you're reading. And it isn't even that you've disengaged. You're still reading the words that your brain disengaged. The message isn't being heard anymore. We need to make sure that we don't do that. So perhaps watchful that way, but the other one is look at our world. Watchful and paying attention to the broken world around us and looking for things to pray for. Watchful of the people around us. This certainly would fit where he goes next. Watchful of the conversations we have at work and at home and thinking through, what do I need to pray for in this? Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it, And then he has this part that I'm not so certain is often on our prayer list. With thanksgiving. I don't mean to imply that you should not pray for the physical ailments that you have. We just prayed for Pastor Greg, not feeling good today. I'm not saying that you shouldn't pray for the things you normally pray for. But you need to make sure you add to that a robust thankfulness. Make sure, in fact, I would say that you start with thankfulness. 
Lord, thank you that you actually answered the prayer that I've been praying. This would be part of it too. Did God answer the prayer and you keep accusing him of not doing anything because you just aren't paying attention? God, thank you. I've been praying for this for 15 years. And you answered me. And you answered me in the way I wanted, just not the time I was expecting. But your answer is so much sweeter than it would have been. Or thank you for catching that person's attention. Pray faithfully and steadfastly with thanksgiving. Don't forget to put that in there. And I would argue that your prayer list should be filled with thanksgiving. Proportionately. That's the word my brain was looking for. Proportionately filled with thanksgiving. If you have 300 requests from people and one half moment of thanks, it's out of proportion. Turn that around. And the answer isn't start dumping people from your prayer list. The answer is start looking for a reason to be thankful. Because God certainly has blessed us, no matter what's happening. So steadfast. Speak to God about people. Be steadfast in this. Speak to God about people. Be thankful in that. Lord, thank you for this awful person that is in my life and what it will teach me. No, don't pray that. That, that might be pushing it. Lord, how about this? Lord, Thank you for how you will grow my heart so I don't consider them so awful. Maybe we ought to pray that way a little more. Thankful. And then notice what the mighty Paul says to pray for next. Speak to God about people, and Paul says, one of those people, please let it be me. At the same time, pray also for us. Before you think Paul's just saying, pray for my ministry, in a vague, general sense, there's a particular thing, and I use the, the, the word mighty with Paul in a minute. First, because he was, and second, because he wasn't as mighty as you think. Pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word. Paul had to look for opportunities too. We think he was an evangelist that just magically things popped open for him. And what Paul's saying is, I need you to pray that the door would open. It doesn't happen any more magically for me than it does for you. It certainly happens by God's power. So please pray for that. And keep in mind, when Paul says that, the open door he's talking about often had a rock flying through it at him. But before you think he was the mighty Paul, that it just came easy to dodge rocks and not so painful when they hit him, what he's praying for is, or what he's asking for is pray for me that the door would open and then he's gonna say and pray that I'd walk through it. Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Again, we, we start making Paul into mighty Paul. Paul was just Paul. Paul was Paul formerly Silas. I mean, Saul, sorry. Silas worked with him. Paul was Paul who needed a name change because he was wrong prior. He didn't enjoy grace before. And we put mighty Paul in there because we think that Paul could go door-to-door evangelism and it came easily and naturally for him and that he was never afraid and that he never missed any moments to witness. And what Paul's saying is the opposite. Pray that God will open the door and pray that I'll speak clearly. You know that moment where you don't speak to your coworker because you just don't know what to say? 
Paul's admitting he has that moment too. And when we think of him as mighty Paul, we take that moment out of the picture and then we let ourselves off the hook. Well, it was easy for Billy Graham. It was easy for Paul. It's not easy for me, so I don't need to try. And Paul here is saying, you don't get to attach mighty to my name in that way. Pray that God would open the door. And pray that when he opens the door, as I'm dodging the rocks being thrown at me because I don't like the message, pray that I would speak clearly as I ought to and not be tempted, I think, to say differently so the, the rock doesn't get thrown today. I'm saying pray for our team that we be faithful in stepping through the doors God offers as opportunities of ministry. And then you might have caught that part. On account of which, the gospel, on account of which I'm in prison. Speak to God about people. Speak to God about people when they're the people that put you in prison because they don't like God. We see that in Paul's life. I'm in prison. Best ministry tool I never wanted but can take total advantage of. Because that guard is stuck with me. You want to talk about an open door. How about 24-7, he's paid to not go anywhere, and he dies if he does. And he can say all he wants, I don't get to talk about God anymore. But guess what? I'm still talking. What's he going to do? Put me in prison? I'm already here. That's his problem. He doesn't want to be there. It's not that Paul walked up to the prison the first day he ever got to town and said, might as well just put the chains on me now. It's where I'm ending up. No, in fact, he tells us his plan. He would go to the synagogue until they kicked him out, and then he would rent a hall until he couldn't rent the hall anymore. They picked him up to kick him out of the city. Meanwhile, if he made it long enough, he'd start a business so he could actually eat and work. And he'd be there for two or three years before, before they typically got mad at him. And then they'd run him out of town. Paul's saying, I'm in prison. Question for you. Will you keep speaking to God about people when in the United States they start to chain us up? It's coming. I don't mean that to terrify you, but Canada's already there. And we're not far behind. We want to be Canada as a nation. That's our goal. As a population. I don't mean the, I don't mean the politicians, by the way. I mean the people. The people, if you pull them, look at Canada and say, that's what we want. And what that means in part for Christians is prison time. Not widespread, but for some. There are pastors in Canada that are in prison because they spoke God's word. Not because they were mean and nasty, but because they dared to preach God's word on a passage that the country said, you can't say that. It's been going on for five to ten years. So do the math. We're 10 years behind and it's been going on five to 10 years. How quickly can that go away? I hope we turn around and we're not 10 years behind them. I hope it spreads out a little more. But still, will you speak to God about people even when they are chaining you up? And turning the corner, will you still speak to people about God when they are imprisoning you? Because Paul's still in prison when he turns the corner in the passage to talk about the second part. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, 
that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. And then he turns the corner and says, now let's talk about how you ought to speak. How you should speak to people about God. It's great to speak to God about people. We should constantly do that. But we need to go past only that. It shouldn't merely that we speak to God about people, but that we should also speak to people about God. Verse 5, conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious. Season with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. First, you need to conduct yourself wisely. Sometimes Christians get in trouble not because of God, but because we're stupid. Sorry. We are. We go places and we do things that are offensive and we write it off as the gospel. And God's like, that's not the gospel, actually. There's a great example of that. Our nation's struggling with racism right now as it hits the front pages. It struggled with racism before as it was off the front pages. And sadly, too many Christians have embraced racism. There's no part or no place in the gospel for racism. It doesn't fit. There's talking about this with the college recently, and I made the statement, you're not gonna be happy in heaven if you're a racist, and part of the problem with that is you'll be happy in heaven. So you have a dilemma. Either you're not in heaven or you're gonna be okay with somebody of a different race next to you. And one of the college students immediately responded with, you're not gonna be happy in hell either. First, because it's hell, and second, because it's gonna be just as diverse. Here's the dilemma for the racist. You're out of luck. There's no place for you. But it certainly isn't in the church. God talks about his creation for eternity. And it's people of every tribe, tongue, and nation. There's no room for racism in that. He talks about his church now. He says there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's no place for racism in there. Because everybody was either Jew or Greek in their day. The Greeks kind of taken over everything. The Bible is clear. It also says we all come out of one family twice over. So now you're just mad at your family. It makes no sense. And here's the reason I bring it up here. It says conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders. Part of the problem with the church, yes, it's racism. That's, that's an issue, and we need to make sure grace never is. But part of the problem for the church, I should say, isn't just that they're not honoring God that way. It's that nobody can hear the message of grace when you cloud it with stupid living and statements. So stop and think about how you talk on social media. Will people stop hearing when you talk about grace because of everything else you've ever said? Because of how you act. When you go to the family Thanksgiving dinner that's coming up in a couple months, or the Labor Day party that you have. Will your behavior be so unholy that grace can't be heard? And I don't mean you don't speak it. Maybe you do share the gospel, but nobody can pay attention to, to you because your conduct wasn't wise. Nor was it holy. Paul's saying, in order to speak to people about God, you need to think through how you're acting. I'll give you another example. If you are the worst worker in your office or at your business, nobody wants to hear you talk about God, especially your boss. If you have a task, 
even if you're doing godly things, if you have a task, you need to make sure you clean the bathrooms today. And your boss walks in and you're sitting on the bathroom floor and you're reading your Bible and it's not your break time, your boss does not want to hear the gospel from you. You have not lived wisely. Yes, you did a good thing reading your Bible, but you did it at the wrong time. Your boss isn't paying you to read your Bible. If you're a pastor, he absolutely is. So if you get mad at us for reading our Bible, we got some other issues you need to work through. But in most businesses, if I was working at Best Buy in the Geek Squad, which would be a comical mix because I'm not that good at that, and I'm doing my devotional time on their clock, not my time off, that's different, but on their clock, my coworkers can't hear grace. My boss certainly can't. I'm not living wisely. If I'm going out and sitting on the lawn, I don't mean that we have, need to have the most manicured lawn, but I'm going out and sitting on a lawn and the grass is up to here and the neighbors are like, just mow your lawn. It's not that hard. Like we're, we're not even talking about the rest. You can have all the weeds in the world. Just mow the thing. We're out of the drought. A little bit of water and a little bit of mowing. I don't mean perfect. You ever drive by my house in the summer? It is sometimes a little longer than it should be, but It doesn't matter how holy you are if they can't hear the gospel because you're not wise. And I'm not saying don't be holy. Certainly be holy. Our problem, one of them, is we're not holy enough. We're like Corinth, too flippant about grace. Too flippant about holiness. But he starts with, for them to hear what you say, which I'm going to, for them, for you to speak to people about God, you have to first live wisely. You need to make sure that they can hear what you say. And then, make sure you speak grace. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious. Always is a tough word to argue with. Well, when am I off the hook? I said always. You're not off the hook. You're not ever off the hook to not be gracious. And yes, parents, you can be disciplining your kid and be gracious. And yes, I know how difficult that is. And no, teenagers that are in the room, just because somebody's lecturing you does not mean they're not being gracious to you. So careful. You're not in the best, best perspective to look at somebody else and say, well, that was ungracious. Well, maybe it was actually full of grace and you needed to hear truth. But conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious. When you open your mouth in any setting, is grace coming out? Is grace pouring out of your mouth? I don't mean that you walk around just saying grace. Let's go back to conduct yourselves wisely. If the only word you ever say at work is grace, 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 grace. Hey, can you do this? Grace, that's not my name. I've told you a million times that's not my name. That's not wise, nor would it be enough, by the way. If you get asked, what's two plus two equals four? Jesus, no, that's the incorrect answer. It's not gracious either. It's just offensive. But when somebody hears you chewed out a math class because you got the wrong answer and they ask you why you could, you could endure it so well and you say, because Jesus saved me and trust me, I've said worse things to other people. That is grace. Most of you aren't in school anymore. When your boss is wrong when they chew you out. Because that happens, does it not? When they're wrong and you handle it in a godly way and you still speak grace, 
your coworker pays attention. It makes a difference. There's a friend of mine on Facebook, former student, who has told me I should be in prison. Actually, I have a couple of them because they disagree with me on a couple of social issues right now. Um, well, not right now, but yeah, yeah, I can explain that at some point if you want to. They still talk to me. They have said some of the meanest things in the world to me. But they keep coming back. Why? Because they know I care about them and I keep speaking grace to them even though they hate grace. That's the why. They take a totally different stand on abortion from me. They think I am part of the problem because I'm against abortion. They've actually called me a terrorist. But then the next day, they'll have a conversation with me. Why? Because I speak grace to them. And we'll go veins popping out head to head like crazy. Don't get me wrong. Grace doesn't mean wimpy. Look at Jesus in the temple. Gracious, definitely not wimpy. He's throwing things around and he's whipping. I think people, you can say the air if it makes you a little more comfortable with Jesus there. But I think he's whipping people to drive them out. Because if you're just whipping the air, we're laughing at you. If you're just like, wapa, leave now. The hardened, hardened hearted person is like, oh, okay, I, that scares me. That sound, it's so scary. Let's leave. But Jesus takes that whip to the person next to you, I'm out of here. Like, whoa, what just happened? And he was gracious even in that moment, by the way. You want to know how? Well, what did they deserve? Death on the spot. Immediate. This is their God. And they are out of line in his home. They deserve death on the spot. And he was offering to them repentance in a, in a very firm way for sure. But... Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders. Make the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious. Gracious when you're disagreeing with your parents and older students. That happens. You do it the wrong way. No place for that. Those of you who are married, you've passed the point where you have to just straight up obey your parents. Does that not happen? Sometimes, mom, dad, I'm going to listen to your advice and I'm going to responsibly choose to go this direction because I'm on my own. We need to do that in a gracious way. Same thing here. Speak graciously. Grace-filled. The gospel should come out of your mouth on a constant basis. It should be natural. You want to know why it shouldn't terrify you when you see a passage that says, go into all the world? Share the gospel? Because it should be natural. I'm a Lakers fan. I talk about the Lakers when they shouldn't be talked about. It just comes out. Terrifyingly, it's football season. I'm a Detroit Lions fan. I don't even know how that happened. I do, actually. But I'm a Lions fan. They went 0-16 a couple years ago. I'm still a Lions fan. I talk about the fact that Barry Sanders is the best running back ever. I talk about the fact that Matt Stafford is a better quarterback than he might be. Because it just comes out. Oh, don't get me started on the Raiders. Okay, so uh, <laughs> grace should just flow out of our mouth when we're disciplining our kids, when we're quitting a job, when we're breaking up with somebody. Grace should still come out of our mouth. It doesn't mean they always enjoy the conversation. 
When we're talking to the neighbor that does everything wrong, you know that neighbor. If you don't know that neighbor, it's you. Okay, but (laughs) when you're talking to that neighbor that they're always parked in your parking spot right in front of your house, their house looks awful. Who knows why they painted it that color? Yours as a pink house is spectacular, but of course their house is ridiculous. When you're talking to that person, does grace still come out? I don't mean it's devoid of truth. Paul certainly does not mean it's devoid of truth. Here's, though, what he knows about us. We struggle with grace being constantly. Your speech always be gracious. And here's a word picture to help you out. Season with salt. And yeah, it should be preservation, but that tri-tip tonight, without any seasoning, would still be good. It's tri-tip. It's meat. Come on. But how much better is it because of the wonderful team we have that's going to start cooking it early enough that that seasoning is going to get in there and it's going to be spectacular. Our city's known for it. Paul's saying, let your mouth be known for it. Santa Maria-style speech, Christian speech, seasoned with grace. Your coworkers should never need, or your family members should never need, I'm not saying don't do it, by the way, please don't misunderstand me, should never need for you to have a sit down, let me tell the gospel with you. But the reason isn't that you don't do that. Again, you certainly should look for that opportunity, and maybe even force it if you need to. Mom, Dad, you and I need to have a talk. I don't know how much longer you have, and I've never spelled this out. I need to tell you now. You know what's important to me? Just humor me for a little bit. You need to force it. By all means, force it in the right way, wisely. I'm not saying don't do that. But they should have already heard grace from your lips every single time you got together. It should have just come out. It's just part of who we are. Always be gracious. Season with salt. A couple years, well, many years ago now, I preached on this one time. And a friend of mine, he caught a phrasing that he really liked, and he remembers it better than I do. But the concept almost is this. It's not just preservation. They should want to come back to your words because there's a wonderful flavor there. Because nobody else has grace. Education can land on truth. It often misses it, but it can land on truth. Science can bring us to truth. It often misses it too. It's not perfect, but it can bring us to truth. Law can hold us accountable to truth. Only God has grace. Only God. Only the church has grace because God's in it. And grace is wonderful. It's confusing. I mean, think about it. Think back to when you didn't know Christ and if you grew up in the church, that'll be tough to think through never knowing about grace. There certainly was a point you didn't know Christ, but you might have been too young to realize there was a moment you didn't grasp the concept of grace. But for those of you that can, can draw that delineation of this was life before Christ and I didn't know grace, it was confusing, wasn't it? What are all these people singing about? What a silly thing. But then you listen to it and you realize that's wonderful. Goofy, but wonderful. And then you realize you want to take Goofy off that description. You mean the God who made me? The God that I started a war with because of my sin? 
He wants to forgive me? That's the best thing I've ever heard. It's the best flavor I could ever taste. Seasoned with salt. There should be a flavor that brings him back. You are the weirdest person in this business, but you're the only one I want to speak into this moment. I got an issue with my spouse. I'm not saying Christians have perfect marriages, by the way, although you should be running back to grace to help with that. And friends, to help with that, pick the right ones for certain. I got an issue with my marriage. And every time you have talked about your spouse, every time, it's been good. Everybody else complains about their spouse. They make jokes about how stupid marriage is. They, they've been divorced a hundred times, which I don't even know if that's possible, but I'm sure somebody's reached that mark at this point. Everything about them says never talk to me about marriage. But you, there's something different in the way you talk about marriage. And please, by the way, don't be unwise and say, well, I have the best spouse ever. <laughs> Unfortunately, they don't, they don't have a twin sister, and I, or they do, and they're just not as nice. I got the good twin, the other bad one's still out there, but you don't want to marry them. Don't go with that response. Go with the right response. You know what? That's because either from the beginning or when we found ourselves in trouble, we brought Christ into the marriage. It's not that we have a perfect marriage. It's that Christ is walking through it with us. I am not a perfect husband, but Christ is carrying my spouse through this relationship. That should be our response. Now, if, if you are the perfect husband, by the way, don't like pretend you're not. She's like, you know what's made me a, a really good spouse? God has. God's made me a good spouse. When the Holy Spirit directs me in my relationship with my spouse or my child or whatever, I try to pay attention. That's what I do. And I'm in God's word and it tells me what to do. And that comes out of your mouth and they go, oh, Oh, maybe I should read the Bible. And then they read and they go, what in the world was that? Please follow up with them. <laughs> like, don't just abandon them to scripture. They pick up Leviticus and they don't know what to do with it. Like, help, you know what? Maybe you should read 1 Corinthians. You're going to have a lot of questions, by the way. Like, really? Christians were doing that? Well, they shouldn't have been. But yeah, they did. We're not perfect. Follow up with them. There's an open door. Follow through with it. Follow through. It through and speak to people about God. Speech always be gracious, season with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Sometimes that's our hang up. God, I don't know what to say. Well, the promise from God is He'll tell you what to say. You don't have to worry about it. And that also means that when you fail, 30 minutes later, as we all do, you don't have to be like, I should have said this. No, you know what? God had that conversation under control. And if, I'm, if I know God well enough and, I'm, and I know his word well enough and I'm trying to honor him in this moment, I'm going to trust that God's going to use that. Learn to say that. It'll give you, save you from all kinds of grief, by the way, because you will beat yourself up over every single past conversation if you, don't, if you don't learn that moment. But the other thing is work at it. Do a little bit of homework. 1 Peter 3.15, by the way, says something very similar. I'll let you look that up on your own, but... Here he says, let it always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to, ought to answer each person. Do a little homework, and it starts with this. You've got to read your Bible. 
If you, can't, if you don't read your Bible, grace is not coming out of your mouth. You don't know it. You might enjoy it from God, but you don't know it well enough for it to just come naturally out. You have to be in Scripture. Awesomely, God doesn't tell you how much Scripture you have to be in or how. Partly, because imagine being Peter and Paul says, or being Peter and God says, Peter, you have to read the Bible for an hour a day. Peter goes, great, I can't read. I don't know that Peter couldn't read, but it's possible. He probably did, actually. The, the Jewish education system was pretty good. Probably learned to read using scripture. His real objection would be this. What Bible am I supposed to read? Because the synagogue kicked me out. So I can't just walk down and read it. I got this letter from Paul. I can read that. I got the Old Testament memorized from the days before I flunked out of the possibility of rabbi school. So I got a little bit of that. We've managed to get these Old Testament scrolls, so I can do that. But they're kept, well, we hide them. It's not like I carry a Bible in my pocket right next to all the other books that I have in my pocket and amazing websites that I, none of you carry books in your pocket. Well, some of you might, but they gotta be little books. Smartphones are amazing, and they carry your Bible. If they don't, they could. It's called a Bible app. Put it on your phone. Paul, uh, Peter, sorry, he didn't have that opportunity. He had to think about what he knew what was in Scripture and then take advantage of it in certain moments. God gives us grace in that. He says, be constantly chewing on my word. Now, what do you think Peter would do if he had a Bible on his smartphone. Well, he'd struggle with it, just like us, because he's Peter. But he'd be reading it. Got to read God's word. If you're not reading God's word, you can't speak grace because you don't know it yet. Again, you might enjoy it. I'm not calling your, your salvation into question. I'm just saying you need to be in God's word. When I'm teaching my staff how to teach, I'll tell them this. When I talk to our college students, high school students too, I'll tell them this. If your Sunday school teacher ever doesn't show up, you should, every single one of you should be able to step in in the moment. Now, it's okay to just go to Denny's. Like, why would we go to Denny's? Well, that's what college students do. But it's okay to go to Black Bear Diner or Cracker Barrel when it finally gets here. You won't go to Chick-fil-A on a Sunday morning because it's closed. Sad moment. But it'll be open on Monday. It's okay. It's okay to do that for a week. But you know what else you can do? Share what you've been reading in Scripture. You don't have to bail out on Sunday school class just because the teacher's not there for one week. Don't replace them. Don't like, have a mutiny. <laughs> like, well, we don't need you anymore. Don't kick them out. But for that week, you know what you can do? You can pray. That'd be the first part. Speak to God about people. Continue steadfastly in prayer. There's part of your Sunday school class. And if you're reading your Bible, you, you should have a passage on your mind you can share and just talk about what you think about it. Speak to people about God. Here, he's specifically talking about evangelism, though. But to do that, that's called apologetics, by the way, is kind of what he's getting at. It's a particular kind of evangelism that addresses the big issues people have as opposed to only sharing the gospel. Sharing the gospel and addressing um, logical objections and different things, evaluating the evidence, all kinds of stuff. But it starts with, you gotta know God, and secondly, you gotta know his word. For it to flow out of you naturally, you've got to know his word. Two other things you can do to help. First with the prayer. 
Take that prayer list home. Use it. Add to it. Expand it. Pray it through the Lord's Prayer. If you ever forget a, a prayer list, by the way, just think through the Lord's Prayer. Praise God. Meet my needs. Help us to enjoy grace and show grace to others. Just pray through the Lord's Prayer. But think through it in the longer, expanded form. Lord, I praise your name for. And then praise God for everything awesome going on because of God. Or everything's awful, but God is still great. That's the Thanksgiving part, by the way. Pray through what you need. God recognizes we have needs. He doesn't have an, again, he doesn't have an issue with the long prayer list. He just thinks it should be longer and a little more diverse. God, here's what I need today. And then the other one, God, help me enjoy your grace today. And by the way, I need to show them grace. God pairs those together. Pray that through. Take the prayer list. Put it places you'll see it. If you don't want that prayer list, smartphone. You have a note app, make your own. And pray through it. Add your kids on there. Add your neighbors on there. Add your boss on there. Pray through your neighborhood. Pray for Santa Maria. Pray for the race issues in Santa Maria. We certainly have them. Pray for the neediness in Santa Maria. We gave backpacks out at Navajo. Guess who else needs backpacks? Santa Maria students need backpacks. We should be doing the same thing here. But have a prayer list. Pray it through. If you don't need a prayer list, by the way, God doesn't command you to have a prayer list. He commands you to pray. Those are different. Don't turn it into a checky box thing if you don't need it. The accountability of that. On the other side, witnessing. And in particular, apologetics. So that you, can, you may know how you ought to answer each other person. It starts with knowing God and it starts with God's word. But it also starts with taking advantage of God's people. Some people are really good at this stuff. Some people have tackled those questions, not in tweets, but in essays. Go find them. Go use them. The pastors here are fans of books. Sunday nights at 6 p.m., we've been taking some of our students through an apologetic series. Here's two of them. It's not a series, actually. We make it up as we go. We just grab books we like and talk about apologetic things. How to witness and light of stuff. Here's the one we were doing most recently, Greg Kokel, Tactics. It's how to share your faith. How to answer them and answer their questions in an effective way. Living wisely, conducting yourself wisely and with a godly biblical answer. Not just saying, well, Oprah said this. Nothing wrong with Oprah. But she's not our primary source. Scripture is. Here's the biblical truth on that. And with some people... Conducting yourself wisely is knowing when not to quote it quite that way. Still speak the biblical truth, but just talk about it until they're ready to hear it. This is another one, J. Warner Wallace, Cold Case Christianity. is talking about that evidence. How can you believe in a God if Jesus didn't even exist? Well, he did. Let me tell you the evidence for it. And there's an abundance of it. And it starts with the eyewitness accounts of the Gospels. That's what this is. Takes you through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as if they're eyewitness accounts. J. Warner Wallace, by the way, if you're not familiar with him, he was, I don't know that he still is, a detective with the LAPD. Um, and his, the way he came to Christ, his story was his wife came to Christ, if I remember right, 
And he's like, well, now i got to deal with this. Okay. Um, and so he tackled it as a detective. It's a cold case. That's what I do. This is, by definition, a cold case. There was a, there was a death, a murder, but the evidence is really far in the past. And he took his expertise and tackled it, and his conclusion was, wow. The, if I was running this as a detective, I would have to conclude exactly the Christian account. If you, if you haven't read that, it's excellent. Both of those are, but excellent. He's got another one called God's Crime Scene. Go look for help. Sean McDowell, Josh McDowell. Evidence that demands a verdict. Not in place of scripture, because those things are all pointing you at scripture. It starts with the relationship with God, and it starts with knowing God's word. But then it's finding, like Paul, how do I conduct myself and how do I speak in such a way that they will hear the gospel? Because we ought to be people that speak to God about people and speak to people about God. Let's pray. Lord, mighty and holy, we praise your name. Thank you for grace. Thank you for grace in the moments that we fail. You open a door and we kick it closed. And you show us grace anyway. Lord, thank you for grace that carries us through the turmoil of a nation that doesn't know truth. But will fight verbally and loudly about it. Help us to show grace to them. Lord, thank you for the cross, that we are forgiven, and we can worship you. Amen.